Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. With that said, if you've got your Bible or you've got a smart device, I want to encourage you to, um, to turn with me or swipe with me to, uh, to the New Testament. In case you're unaware, the Bible is divided up into these two large sections of Scripture. We have the Old Testament towards the front of the Bible, the, the New Testament towards the back. And we're going to be in the New Testament today in a, a book that's actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And for that reason, it's called Romans because it was written to the Romans. And we're going to land in chapter 6 in just a moment. So you can go ahead and turn there or swipe with me there, and then we'll, we'll be there in just a minute. So we're in the middle of this series. Actually, this is part four of a series that we're calling Creature of Habit. And so what we've been taking a look at at the beginning of this year is, is we've, we've identified that if, if you and I, if we're going to be people who live our lives for the sake of the kingdom, then we're gonna have to develop some new habits in our life. And, and while things like, like Bible reading and, and regular church attendance and prayer and fasting and stuff like that, those are, those are certainly great habits and they are 100% integral to the life of the growing believer in Jesus those are all outward behaviors and actions, and, and we're not really concerned about those things for this particular series. Instead, we're looking at the inside, at our heart, and, and some, some habits that we need to develop on the inside, some beliefs and behaviors that we need to begin to get right so that we can become the person that God is calling us to be. And all the way back in part one of this series, we looked at the difference between regret and repentance. And that if we live our lives in the habit of regret, we just get stuck in this cycle of sin and regret and sin and regret and sin and regret, which ultimately leads to death and destruction. But if we'll repent of those sins, if we'll let go of them and we'll turn away, then we can step into the freedom and the fullness of life that Jesus Christ has to offer. In part two, we talked about the difference between uh, condemnation and conviction. And condemnation is like a big club that the devil wants to beat us over the head with and remind us of everything that we've ever done in our past that has fallen short of honoring God. But conviction is the reason that the Holy Spirit was sent to us. And, and the Holy Spirit acts like a GPS that leads, guides, and direct, uh, directs us so that we can end up at the future that God has for us. And then last week, we talked about the difference between religion and relationship, and we ultimately arrived in, in part one of what's going to be a two-part talk that I'm going to continue today. We arrived at this idea that, that religion is simply following the rules so God will love us, but relationship is choosing to follow the rules because God loves us. And it's this idea that, that religion, we think we have to earn the love of Jesus, but having a relationship with him says that, that even though we're, we're trying to be better, even though we're trying to become more like him, that even when we miss the mark, he still loves us because we are his children. And so for the next few minutes today, I, I want us to continue our talk about the difference between religion and relationship, but I want to look at it from a slightly different angle. And um, 
in order to do that, I, I want to introduce you to my dog, Millie. This is, this is Millie right here. You can see a picture of her. We're actually going to skip that first slide. Yeah, this is me and Sarah. This is Millie. Um, Amelia Rose actually is her, her given name, but we call her Millie for short. And um, Millie will turn a year old in just a couple weeks. Um, and so we've had her for about 10 months. And so you can only imagine what our life has been like for the past 10 months with a brand new puppy in the home. And the biggest thing that comes with bringing a new puppy into the home, as, as you uh, well know, those of you that have, that have ever had a dog, is especially in that first year, is potty training, right? Right? We got to teach Millie, like, you don't potty in the house. You go outside to potty. And so we've been doing this over and over. We've been working with her. She's, she's done great. Like, she hasn't had an accident inside, and it's been a long time, but... There's an issue with, with taking her outside, and that is that our, our backyard isn't fenced in. So we can't just turn her loose and let her go. Um, we have to put her, her harness and her, her leash on her anytime someone takes her out. But during the time that we've had her, of course, we've been not just working with her about potty training. We've been teaching her tricks and things and, and giving her different commands. And so now she will respond to a lot of things. She will sit. She will jump. She will speak. Um, when, when asked, uh, she will give a fist bump, a handshake, a high five. She'll lay down. She will roll over. And then we say, um, uh, I can call her name and say, come here. And she'll come and she'll jump up in my lap. And so here recently, when, when I've been taking her out to use the bathroom, I've been letting her go out off the leash because in the confines of our backyard, even though there's no fence, I need to get her to, to be able to respond to my commands so that in the event we're out in another situation that she's going to know what I expect of her. And so we'll go out in the mornings and, and she's got to go and do her business and everything. And so she's off the leash and she's just free to roam the backyard. And every now and again, she'll kind of turn up and, and go up the side of the house toward the front yard and she'll take a few steps and she'll look over her shoulder at me and I won't say anything. And so she'll take a few more steps and she'll look over her shoulder at me and I won't say anything. And she'll take a few more steps and then I'll say, nope, you need to come back here. And so she comes and she runs back into the backyard where she's supposed to be. See, she's trying to go to the front yard to see what's up there, but I know what's up there. There's the potential for danger. She could get up there and I would no longer be able to see her. She could run out into the road and get hit by a car or something. And so I know that there is, there's a boundary, there's a place that she doesn't need to go beyond. And so whenever she gets too close to that edge, I call her back so that she can be out of danger and where she needs to be. But did you know that a lot of us approach our faith in Jesus Christ this way? We approach it the way that Millie approaches trying to get to the front yard. That we want to see how close we can get to the line, how close we can get to our former way of living and, and still be okay and still be a Christian. We want to do just enough to stay on this line of being, on this side of the line of being saved. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But the problem with that is, is where's the line? And, and what happens if we 
accidentally slip and, and cross over the line? And, and, and what's it going to take? Like, like is, is telling a, a little white lie, like, is that going to push us over the line? Or what about like spreading the latest church gossip? Does that cause us to break the plane and step across the line? How about thinking lustful thoughts or, or committing murder? Like, uh, uh, where is the line in the middle of all of that? And see, this is the problem with religion. Religion tells us that it's what we do or what we don't do that saves us. But that is not the case at all. We are saved simply because of the love of Jesus Christ and the work that he, is done, he has done on the cross. And there is nothing that we could ever do or not do that would disqualify us from being able to receive that love and forgiveness that the cross offers. But this brings up another issue for us. If what we do doesn't save us and what we don't do doesn't disqualify us from being saved, then why does it matter what we do, right? If what I do doesn't mean that God's gonna love me any more or love me any less, if what I don't do doesn't mean that God's gonna love me any more or love me any less, then why does it matter what I do? If Jesus is just gonna forgive us anyway, then can I just live however I want, right? Like there's, there's tension here and, 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 and there's, there, there's a, a, a struggle that goes on inside of our hearts when, when we look at things through the lens of religion. And there's a lot of people that, that look at Christianity, at faith in Jesus, just like this. And, and they treat their relationship with Jesus like it's some sort of get out of hell free card or some sort of a, like fire insurance policy that they hang on the wall. But that is not how Christ wants us to live. That's not the life that he had designed for, for us. And so, so let me reframe the question a little bit because, because really what people are asking is, can I do X, Y, Z and still be a Christian? And maybe you've wondered something like this once upon a time before, like, Maybe it's, can I watch rated R movies or look at pornography and still be a Christian? Can, can I be pro-choice and still be a Christian? Can I say a cuss word every now and again and still be a Christian? Can I smoke marijuana and still be a Christian? Can I have sex outside of my marriage relationship and still be a Christian? Can I live a homosexual lifestyle and still be a Christian? And it's questions like this, and the list could go on and on and on, and, and we wonder about stuff like this because we don't wanna go to hell, but at the same time, we wanna live our life the way that we want to live it. And so there's, there's difficulty there that comes in because it's, it's in what, what many people consider to be these gray areas of the faith that, that Christians and non-Christians alike, that they've argued and that they've debated for years and years and years. But, but can I do X and still be a Christian? That's, that's really the wrong question for us to ask. The better question for us to ask is, why do I want to be a Christian and still do X. Because see, the, the, the question, can I be a Christian and still do this, 
it's, it's based on that thing. It, it's, it says that, that our faith in Jesus and, and our ability to be saved is based on our works. But when we ask, why do I want to do that thing as a Christian? What happens is, is it, it, it moves past the thing itself, the work itself, the action, the behavior, the attitude, and it gets to the root of the motivation that is in our heart behind that thing and how it plays into our relationship with Jesus. And the good news is, is that, that Paul addresses this very question head on in his letter to the Romans. And so we're going to turn and jump in there at Romans chapter six, starting with verse one. We're gonna read verses one and two. We're gonna skip down a little bit and then we'll finish out with a big chunk of the chapter at the end. If you're taking notes, maybe you wanna write some stuff down as we go through this. I'm gonna do my best in kind of a rapid fire fashion to walk us through this very difficult passage of scripture there's a lot going on here, and, and I can't spend all the time that I would like to, but we're going to uh, go through and, and pull out some of the, some of the big nuggets um, that, that Paul is trying to communicate to us through this passage. And he starts out in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? All right? And so, so he brings up this word, this, this sin, should we keep on sinning since we have died to sin? So it's important right off the bat for us to understand what sin really means. And the basic definition of sin is simply this. Sin is anything that separates or moves us away from God anything that would fall into that category. If it's not moving us toward God, if it's moving, if instead, instead it's moving us away from, if it's separating us from God, then that would fall into the category of sin. And it's right here at the beginning of chapter six that, that there is a shift that is taking place. Up until this point, Paul has been focused mainly on this idea of justification. All right, justification is, is a big fancy word that just means this. It is a one-time act where we are declared to be righteous. That, that when God looks at us, when we step into faith in Jesus Christ and we are covered under the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary, justification declares us as righteous because God looks at us and he sees us through the lens of the blood of Jesus, so he cannot see the sin that is a part of us and a part of our nature. So it's a one-time act at the event of salvation, belief in Jesus, where we are declared to be righteous. But, but then when Paul gets to chapter 6, a shift takes place. And he's moving from justification to, to this idea of sanctification. All right, And that's a very different term. Sanctification is an ongoing act where we are made to be righteous, okay? So justification is one time and it declares us as righteous. It says you are righteous. But then sanctification begins at the same time as justification and it happens ongoing each and every day throughout the entirety of our relationship with Jesus and it is what makes us become righteous, become more like 
Jesus. And so this is the shift. And, and Romans 6 is kind of the, the line in the sand where we cross over from justification to sanctification. Is everybody with me? Okay. Now let's skip down to verses uh, 6 and 7 where Paul writes this. He says, Can we go back? Is it in there? Is it not in there? Verses six and seven? It's not in there. Okay, that's my fault. I did that, so I messed it up. Um, Romans six, six and seven says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, all right? So what Paul is saying is that before Christ, we were ruled by the sinful desires of our flesh. But then once we step into faith in Jesus, a transformation takes place. The old life is gone, what he talks about in Corinthians. The old life is gone, and a new life is begun. And so what happens is, is we exchange our old desires to, to, to be involved with sin, which leads to death. We exchange those things for a new desire of following after Jesus, which leads to life. And so the principle that Paul is working off of here is simply this. It's that we haven't been saved by Christ so that we can sin freely. We've been saved by him so that we no longer have to succumb to sin's power. And once we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, then sin loses its authority in our life. Whereas before Jesus, sin was the reigning authority. It was what we answered to. But then after faith in Jesus, we begin to answer to a higher power, one that has defeated sin. And as we continue to answer to that higher power, our lives are continually being transformed from the inside out to make us more and more like Jesus. This is sanctification, all right? Now, in, in the remainder of this chapter, Paul kind of breaks down and digs into really this idea of sanctification and what it is. And so if you're taking notes, we're gonna talk about the five components of sanctification. The five components of sanctification. So if you're taking notes, write this down. It starts off with, the rules of sanctification. There are rules when it comes to our sanctification. And Paul begins this discourse in uh, verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. So we're going to look at that together where he says, you can see the rules kind of unfolding here. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. And he continues on in the latter part of 13 and then verse 14. It says, instead, so those were the do nots. This is what the do's are. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. For sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. 
So what Paul is talking about here is that when we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that there should be movement that is taking place. There should be forward progress, that we should be moving away from our old life and away from the sin that we used to be entangled into. And then we move more toward Jesus and become more like him each and every day. And it makes me think of a story that I heard once about this little girl who um, uh, uh, she, she cried out in the middle of the night and her mom rushed into her bedroom and she said, honey, what's wrong? And the little girl said, mama, I fell out of the bed. And she said, well, baby, why do you think you fell out of the bed? She said, I think I fell in because I stayed too close to where, or I fell out because I stayed too close to where I got in. And see, that's what happens that, that when, when, when we accept a relationship, when we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a lot of us want to stay too close to where we got in. And it causes us to then fall out of love with Jesus and fall back into that old way of life. But when we step into Jesus, the, the idea is, without, when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, is that there is forward motion that is taking place, that we're moving toward him. See, as our, as our relationship with Christ develops, our lives should begin to look markedly different. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, there, there's a progression that is taking place. The longer we're in a relationship with Jesus, the more we should begin to resemble less of our old selves and, and, and more of him. That means that when you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a year, you should look different at the end of that year than you did when you first said, Jesus, save me. Come and be my Lord and Savior. When you've walked with Jesus for five years or 10 years or, or, or 30 years, like your life should look different. And if, if today, if as a believer, if your life does not look any different than the day you accepted Christ as Savior, there's something wrong there. Because we're supposed to make forward progress. We're supposed to become more and more like him. That means the things we think about, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way we treat other people, all of that. It's constantly changing and developing and growing to turn more into him. So that's the rule that we have to apply and that we have to follow. We look at our lives through that lens. Is my life changing? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? So you've got the rules of sanctification. The second thing is you've got the requirement of sanctification. Sanctification is not just gonna happen, okay? It requires something of us in order to be sanctified. And Paul continues in verse 15 where he says, well then, he kind of repeats himself back from verse one, but in a little different way. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Then in verse 17, it says, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So what Paul is saying here is that you and I, we've been given a choice. We can choose to, to stay in religion and religion asks this question right here. Religion asks, what can I get away with? 
What can I get away with? But relationship asks this question. Relationship asks, what can I get away from? There's a difference there. Religion says, I want to get right up to the line and do everything that I possibly can of my old former self and still be saved. But relationship says, how can I get as far away from that life as possible so that I can become more and more and more like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? See, when we ask that question, can I do XYZ and still be a Christian, what we're ultimately saying is that we need something other than Jesus to satisfy us, that he is not enough. And notice the word that Paul, uh, that, that, that Paul wrote there in, in verses 17 and 18. He, he uses the word wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. And wholeheartedly means that, that we're undivided. Because God's desire is for us to choose him with everything that we are. We got to go all in. And you know the difference. We don't do anything half-heartedly, right? You know what that word means. It means we're like, eh, we're on the fence about it. But wholeheartedly means I am fully and completely and totally devoted to the cause at hand. And that's what God wants. The requirement is that we choose, when we choose once and for all to follow Jesus, that it is with our whole heart, all of our person. That means that, that we don't just choose to live for Jesus on Sunday. We choose to live for him every day of the week. We don't just choose to, to honor him in one area of our life. We choose to honor him in all areas of our life, in our personal integrity, in our marriage, in our workplaces, with our parenting, in our friendships, with our finances. Everything that we are comes under the umbrella of becoming more like Jesus and living in accordance with the authority of his word. So there are rules of sanctification. There's the requirement of sanctification. There's also a reason for sanctification, a reason for sanctification. Paul talks about that in, in verse 19 of chapter six, where he says this. He says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let your slaves or yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Say ever deeper. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living. And here, here's, here's the reason. So that you will become holy. That's the reason for sanctification. So the, the, the reason for it is that so we can become holy. See, sin isn't stagnant. It is always moving. It's always pulling you ever deeper, deeper and deeper into its grasp. It's pulling you further and further and further away from the Father. That's why we can't play with it. Because if we give the devil a centimeter, he will take a country mile. That's how it happens. And sin, like uh, and when we toy around with sin, it reminds me of, of this poem that I read by uh, the, an author named Shel Silverstein when I was a little kid in elementary school. It's called The Boa Constrictor. And it says, I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor, a boa constrictor, 
a boa constrictor. I'm being eaten by a boa constrictor, and I don't like it one bit. What do you know? It's nibbling my toe. Oh, gee, it's up to my knee. Oh, fiddle, it's up to my middle. Oh, heck, it's up to my neck. Oh, dread, it's over my... And that's how it happens. We can't just be in sin and stay there. It is going to ever deepen. And when we play with the serpent, he's going to consume us. He's going to disguise it in. I'm helping you to have a good time. But what he's really doing is he is killing you systematically. And he is sucking the life out of you and making you enjoy the process. That's what he is doing. And before we know it, oh, heck, he's up to my neck. Oh, dread. And then we're done for. And we can't get out of it. That is the reason for sanctification. Because he says, he says to, to give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living. We give ourselves. That is a daily surrender. Every single day when we get up, we have to give ourselves. That is a choice that we make. We surrender ourselves to the Father. Lord, I surrender my life to you, my words, my thoughts, my deeds, every aspect of my life so that I can be holy as you are holy. That's sanctification. That's the purpose of our relationship with Jesus. And that is the reason for it. So we've got rules of sanctification, we've got the requirement of sanctification, we've got the reason for sanctification. Number four, the result of sanctification. What happens if we live this way? What's the result? In verse 20, Paul says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But he continues, he says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul is saying here is that we are going to bear the fruit of whatever kinds of seeds we plant. And we don't plant apple seeds and expect to get oranges. That would be ridiculous. So we cannot plant the seeds of sin and expect to, to bear the fruit of holiness and eternal life. No, when we plant the seeds of sin in our life, we, we bear the fruit of shame and death. But when we will plant the seeds of righteousness in our life and live according to that, then the fruit that we bear will be holiness and eternal life. That's the result. And you and I get to choose which fruit we bear. And it's determined by the seeds that we plant. So there's rules for sanctification. There is a requirement for sanctification. There is a reason for sanctification. There is the result of sanctification. And the fifth one is the return of sanctification. There's a return. We learn about this return in, in, actually in the Psalms. David writes about this. In Psalm chapter 24, verses three through six, 
where he asks the question, very similar to kind of the question that we've been asking today. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? and Who may stand in his holy place? Then he answers that question for himself. He says, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and who never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. And so what, what David is, is saying there is, is when it comes to sanctification, there's really, there's really two things that are going on. And, and this kind of connects in with, with what Paul is writing and and the two things that are, that, that are needed in order for us to be sanctified is, is pure hands and a pure heart. Pure hands is righteous behavior. That's what takes place on the outside. And a pure heart is godly character. It's what takes place on the inside. And so David, as he's writing this psalm, he, he's saying, what does, what, does it take to, what does it take to live a life that's surrendered unto you? What does it take to be able to approach the throne of the Father? Who, who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? That, that's what he's talking about. Well, what does it take in order for me to get closer to your presence, to our relationship with you? And then he answers, he says, clean hands, a pure heart. Righteous behavior, godly character. That's what it takes. And there's a return on that. If we'll be a people that, that will make that kind of investment and that we'll choose. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I, wanna, I wanna be sure that, that I'm living with clean hands. I wanna be sure that, that my heart stays pure. Search me and know me, God. Cleanse me from any area of iniquity. If that's the kind of people that, that we're going to be and that's the investment that we're going to make each and every day, then there is a guarantee that comes along with that. There is a return that we are going to get. And he says it right there in, in, in that passage in, in Psalm 24, verses three through six. He says that if we'll be people of pure hands and pure hearts, three things are gonna happen. We'll receive blessings from God. We'll be in a right relationship with God and we'll be able to worship in the presence of God. Blessings from God, right relationship with God, worship in the presence of God. What could be better, right? I don't know about you, but those are the things that I want for my life. I want the Lord to bless me. I wanna be in a right relationship with him. And when I sing songs and, and when I come to God and I proclaim praise and worship on him, I wanna be sure that it's not just bouncing off the wall over there or that it's running into the ceiling. I wanna know that I'm in his presence so that he can receive that. I wanna be sure that there is nothing standing in between me and him so that when I come to the throne of the Father, when I ascend that holy hill that I can be with him, that is what it means to be in a relationship. You're with somebody. And we can be with God in his presence if we we'll only have clean hands and a pure heart.
He'll bless us. He'll put us in a right relationship with him so that we can worship in his presence. What sanctification says and ultimately relationship says, if, if I know that God's way is best for me, then why in the world would I want anything else? If I know that his way is best, if I know that living in accordance with these principles is going to provide the the best outcome that there is, then why would I want anything else? Religion says you can do whatever you want to do right up to the line and still be okay. But relationship says I'm going to worship in God's presence. Relationship says I'm gonna be in right standing with the Father. Relationship says I'm going to position myself to be blessed by the King of the universe. And if we can have that, why would we want anything else? That's the difference between religion and relationship. And that all begins by us putting our faith and our trust in Jesus every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe, Maybe some time ago you thought you had but along the way, over the course of this message and, and these series, this series, you, you've realized that you've just been living a life full of regret and condemnation and religion. And today you wanna to step into a relationship with Jesus once and for all. If that's you, would you make it known to the Father just by raising your hand to declare your intentions to him today? Is there anyone else? If that's you this morning, you're here in this room, you're watching with us online, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer along with me. It's gonna be on the screen if you need it. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus, his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Those clean hands, that pure heart that we've talked about, that David wrote about in the Psalms, they're made possible through the work of Jesus at the cross of Calvary, where his body was bruised and battered, where his blood was poured out so that we could be healed and made whole, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up a message and to respond to the word of the Lord talking about a relationship with Jesus through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit because of the work of the cross than to participate in communion this morning. And so as the band leads us in worship in just a moment, I wanna invite you to come forward to partake of these elements, his body that was bruised and battered and broken for our healing and wholeness, his blood that was poured out so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We've got three stations here today. If you would use the left uh, aisle, the aisle to your left in order to come forward, and then you would return to your section with the the right aisle. That'll help to kind of keep down on the traffic flow and keep everything going the way that it needs to. But as we worship together this morning, 
you're invited to the table to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the means through which you and I have a relationship with the Father. And it is the power through which you and I are sanctified to become more and more like Jesus. I invite you to stand. As the band leads us in worship, you're invited to the table. Come and eat and drink. And let's worship the Lord together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.